0: Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. This episode presented by the Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roasted coffee along with house-made pastries, Breakfast and lunch offerings, there are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills downtown, and Bellevue. More information can be found at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center located in the Gulch. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Romella White has picked Ole Miss. The Arizona State transfer was considering Vanderbilt. Would have helped greatly in the post. The Commodores will now see him at least once next year in the basketball season instead. Our guest line is presented to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue what I was missing with Bowling Branch sheets until I got some for myself. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com, that's spelled B-O-L-L, into the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins me, George, of course, with Nashville Sports Radio where he is on 2-4 to 4 every afternoon. George, thanks for joining us today. I hope you are doing well.
1: Chris, I am doing well, and I hope you are, and hope everybody uh, listening is doing okay.
0: Man, I hope we have sports again. (laughs) Soon. You and me both. We will talk about MLB in the mailbag, because I think that's going to be important. But let's stick to Vanderbilt. Romello White is going to Ole Miss. That's a big blow for Jerry Stackhouse. I talked about that on your show on Friday, but that one hurts because I thought he would have been the best player on the team this fall.
1: Well, it seems like that would have been one of those signings that would have elevated them past what most people have thought they could be a year from now, if there is such a thing as college basketball. Really good player with a lot of experience. If you watched Arizona State a year ago, they were a not only were they the most fun team in college basketball. Their shots selection wasn't always great, but, um, you know, kind of a tournament tested experience they don't have.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that was their chance to maybe escape the Wednesday night game in the SEC tournament. Now I just think they're going to be hard pressed to get out of that.
1: Yeah. I don't see how they can. Uh, I just don't think they've been able to get enough done from a talent standpoint. And you also have to remember, uh, you know, losing Aaron Neesmith and Saban Lee. You you just kind of say to yourself, how are they going to make that work?
0: Well, they weren't good with those two guys. Right. So That is the problem. Yeah. Now, everybody else improves a little bit, and so that takes some of that away. But I thought... You know, maybe I'm not saying because I don't think Ramila White is a better player than Saban Lee, but that eased the blow a lot. And if your other guys get better, then maybe you had a shot to make the NIT if everything went well, but I think it's tough now. And it just keeps pointing the finger back to how tough this rebuild is going to be. And the thing that went public last week, and I think they actually got rid of David Grace on the day before Good Friday, which is what I had heard at the time. Now they are in a spot where they are going to need to find a third assistant. From what I heard, he was looking internally on his staff last I checked. If I'm him, if I'm going to do that, it's going to be Andy Fox because he's the only guy on that staff that's recruited before Ricardo Patton left on his own so that's not an option for him. I think Ricardo would have been a great option, but he is bent on player development and I don't think he seems to care too much about recruiting connections. Their staff right now has got 3 years of experience in recruiting. It's Jerry's one year last year. It is the one in the, the year that his other two assistants had. So now he's got to replace that third assistant. Um uh, to me, getting rid of Grace doesn't make a lot of sense. I know that they want to recruit the Southeast a lot more, but it's going to be interesting to see what he does with that because, I, I don't know, I Just that philosophy that he's got, it is not like anything that I've seen anybody else use in college basketball and that, that he just doesn't seem to really care for the most part about recruiting, and it's all on development.
1: Well, he will care eventually because he's not going to have any other choice. Uh, You can take player development to a certain level. uh, But if you've got a bunch of, you know, me out there, uh, (laughs) there's only so much player development you could do. And I don't mean that uh, disparaging toward the players they have. I just think we we have a pretty good idea that they're at the bottom of the Southeastern Conference and you can only player develop yourself to a certain point. Uh, They appear to be pretty good at player development, but not good enough. It wouldn't seem to pull off that kind of miracle.
0: No, I don't think so either. And I think what has got to concern him now, he's had two players that sort of dropped in his lap. One was Romello White, who wanted to go there. And I'm not blaming Vanderbilt or him on that one necessarily. The version of the story I got is he had a path to grad school. And look, this could be spin. I don't know, but I will take them at their word. that And he just didn't want to do it. He wanted to go to Ole Miss instead. But him and they had Matt Morell, They were clearly the leader for Matt Morell because they'd hired his high school coach. And frankly, they got outworked in that recruitment, from what I'm told. So that's two players, because where he has gone is he's used his connections. I think they had one to Tyron Lawrence through his high school. And so now that's that's where he's going with most of these kids, guys he's connected to, and he's not landed a couple of them. And again, everything is a different circumstance. But to me, if I'm Jerry Stackhouse, I'm sitting back and saying, okay, wait a minute. I've spent a year ha- here now. I've seen how difficult recruiting can be for various reasons. If I'm him, I'm putting a premium on it, but we will see what he does with that third spot.
1: Well, it's now all about recruiting. There really isn't much else uh, to talk about. And uh, whether he knows that or not, he's going to know it soon enough.
0: Yeah, Uh Everybody thinks this fall that the league is going to get a little bit better. So I think that's going to be an additional challenge for him. But anyway, we've said a lot about this topic before. I guess the thing now is waiting to see what happens with football. It sure sounds like they're going to play, but who knows?
1: Well, I'm going to throw a little bit different spin on this. Um You know, I think on a weekly basis, the five, um, you know, conference commissioners, the five families get together without the Bundinis and the uh, Corleones. And, um, you know, I'm told that uh, they were very confident uh, as recently as a week ago about being able to start in the spring, but that some of that optimism has sort of gone away a little bit with the news of the California schools not reopening that threw them for a little bit of a loop and it'll be interesting this is all a roller coaster ride or at least it is for me because one week i think one thing next week i think another i am all over the map if you were to pin down every time i've had a pretty definitive thought on where all this stuff is going for all these different leagues uh I think my batting average is about 180. I'm below the Mendoza line. Um, But I bet a bunch of people are. I I doubt I'm the only one.
0: I did not catch the California news over the weekend. Would you mind explaining that? I imagine I'm not the only one.
1: Uh, The governor, Gavin Newsom, put something out. And I want to say it was as early as Thursday that the California schools will not be opening uh, for fall class for, for students to go on campus. And I think that caught them by surprise a little bit. And, um, so that they're not quite as confident as they have been.
0: Well, this breaks this morning, this from Josh Kendall at the athletic, and I'll just read it word for word. This isn't a tweet that he sent. The University of South Carolina will cancel its fall break and stop in-person classes for fall semester on November 24th in an attempt to guard against a COVID-19 spike. Um, I'm thinking this through because this just happened. To me, that's one of the smarter ways to go because the spike is supposed to be, if there is another one, more towards fall and winter. So to me, it never made sense pushing the fall semester back because it's less likely that you're going to get a lot done if that is the case and that there is a return in the winter, which tends to happen with viruses, right? So to me, that's a solution. I guess it's—I want to say it's a little premature, but the thing is, if you're canceling fall break and you're stopping in-person classes at that point, at least you're planning ahead— I don't know. The more I think about it, that's the route I would go before I would just cancel everything like California did. But I say everything with this, with the who knows, because it's a virus and this is something we've never dealt with. So you never know. But to me, I'm I'm looking at what South Carolina just did. And it makes some sense to me.
1: By the way, in a uh, related note, a story comes out today of some pretty encouraging news on a vaccine Uh, again early but some very encouraging news.
0: Well, I didn't catch that either. If you want to pass that along, that would be great.
1: Well, I think I probably have gone as far as I can without sounding like a total idiot. Gotcha. Um, There's just something that uh, has come out in the last hour or two that looks promising. I'm not sure I'm the one to give you details,
0: Well, I think that's the one thing. The first thing was this was about flattening the curve and not overwhelming the medical system. We seem to have accomplished that so far. Again, you want to be cautious. But the vaccine is the thing that now everybody is scared about is that there's not a vaccine for this. To me, if you get the vaccine and you can produce it quickly enough, I guess that's the other thing. Then to me, you stand a much greater chance of going back to life as normal.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely and it the, according to the story that I saw this morning uh they feel like they could have a vaccine you know on the market kind of thing by the start of the new year which would be uh terrific news. Uh, it does seem to me that uh for all of the goofy stuff that's been going on that the Trump administration sure wants to uh to get a vaccine out there. Uh, may be around election.
0: Uh, Funny how those things work sometimes. But yeah, I mean, they've been working on clinical trials for drugs for a while now. I would have to think, given this has just dominated everything for two months, I am optimistic that given the resources we have in America and the minds we have, Uh, that we can hopefully find something for this.
1: Chris, do you not think, though, that somebody's listening to this going, what the hell do those two know about that?
0: (laughs) Hey, that's what I'm thinking as soon as it comes out of my mouth. So I'm like, maybe we should just go stick to what we know and go to the mailbag, if that's cool.
1: Oh, the mailbag. When all else fails, get
0: the mailbag. Right. Well, we have to talk about something. so. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Vanable Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Give him a call today, 615-933-1979. Email him at, at com. Follow him on Twitter at Joshua Minton HQ or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it on this podcast HMHS says that you watched the last dance and if so, what was your overall impression and specifically your impression of the last interviews with Will Perdue?
1: Well, I guess I'm biased uh, because he's a great friend, but I was, uh, I was really proud of Will. Uh, It was great to see him get some national TV pub out of the deal. I thought he was uh, very open and very candid which he told me ahead of time that he was, he actually um did the interviews for this thing a year ago in February. said he spent about two hours with them. I loved the documentary. Um, you know that's that's right in my wheelhouse, sports wise. You've got a group now uh, that's thirty years old and under who never saw him play. And so I think one of the I think one of the things that went on here is that Jordan even though he's been virtually this side of a recluse and has not been very good in the role of an owner or a GM or whatever it is that he's doing in Charlotte I think he wanted a younger generation to know what it is they were saying before they automatically Stamped LeBron as the greatest ever. And I think this is probably the best thing he could do to start to make a younger audience say, whoa, look at this guy, and then do a comparison. Uh, do I think he has a big enough ego to, to really care about that? Yeah, I do. Uh, I love the documentary. Some of it may be that I'm bored out of my mind and just the sight of Korean baseball, you can throw anything out there that even remotely resembles sports and I'll go with it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, Speaking of which, I promise we'll get around to baseball. HMHS also asks, what if MLB owners present a reasonable plan for having some sort of season this year and the players balk, pun intended? appearing to want more money, how far back will that set the sport in the public's eye?
1: It's going to be huge, and I don't think some of these guys really understand what they're getting into in this deal. First of all, there's a labor uh, negotiation that is supposed to take place for the next collective bargaining agreement at the end of the 2021 season. If they are not able to reach an agreement on this, uh, and they don't play baseball at all in 2020, you've got to believe that there will be a strike at the end of 2021. We've had labor peace now for almost 25 years. And baseball, you know, it's its alive. Uh, people like me love it doesn't seem to have penetrated the young market at all. And I would think that these guys, and I'm aiming this at a Blake Snell and a Bryce Harper, would realize that their peer age really couldn't care less about baseball.
0: This
1: is a golden opportunity for at least three months when everything else out there is in such a question mark. Um, You know, I didn't appreciate Blake Snell's comments. I didn't appreciate Bryce Harper's comments. I understand there are issues. I have no problem with players saying, listen, I'm worried about safety. But don't give me all this crap about money right now. When you've got unemployment at, you know, somewhere near 20 percent and, you know, 60 percent of the rest, are worrying, how are we going to make, you know, pay our bills each month? For them to be putting money out there on the table is stupid for them to be saying it. I blame some of this on Tony Clark, the leader of the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association. He should have gotten all of them into one of these Zoom conference calls. And listen, until all this happened, I didn't know what Zoom was. But I have been on three Zoom conference calls, and it's, as stupid as I am technologically, if I can do it, those players can do it. He needed to get them in a Zoom conference call and say, listen, we're about to enter into something that is really vital and really important. And I need all of you to shut the hell up while this is going on, because guys like Blake Snell and Bryce Harper are not helping this problem at all. You know, if you notice, the owners right now are saying absolutely nothing. They're deep in negotiations so far. No owner, no, you know, nobody on that side has said anything. And I guess in truth, given that there are, you know, probably a thousand baseball players that could break the silence, the fact that two of them did it is probably not a bad number. But in Bryce Harper, you've got one of the 10 most influential players in the game, which brings me to a couple of other points, Chris. Um, I've talked to a couple of professional baseball players in the last week about all this, and both of them tell me they believe the odds of a deal being worked out are less than 50-50. They've given me several reasons. I want you to think back to the NFL Uh, And the vote that they had recently that got ratified for them to extend their collective bargaining agreement. What you had was a division of money where the Aaron Rodgers and the Russell Wilsons of the world were saying, don't agree to this. We're getting screwed. And then another group was saying, whoa, we don't make anywhere near the kind of money that you do. You have no idea what our struggles are. And I think some of that is going on right now in baseball as well, where, you know, the $30 million Clayton Kershaw types are sitting there saying, you know, I don't want to go back for pennies on the dollar. And yet there's another group out there that doesn't make that kind of money who's saying, you know, this is a year of my earning potential that goes down the drain if this doesn't happen. And so I think those are some of the problems. That are going on right now i didn't mean to uh to give you war and peace uh but it's about the only thing that i think i'm halfway an expert on
0: well no i think this is worthy of discussion on a number of levels first of all this is where i have a problem and i have problems with both sides on this but where i have a problem with the owners if you were in business you're the ones that take on the business risk and that cuts both ways in other words, if you sign Ronald Acuna to the contract you sign him to, the way the system works, and he's an MVP candidate at 21, 22, whatever he is, and you've got him under contract for $500,000 and he's worth $30 million, well, you win in that one. But the flip side of that is because you take the business risk, when something like this happens, you're the one – This is just the way business works in America. You're generally the one that takes the hit for that. So it works both ways. If And I'm not very well studying this, but my understanding is that players and the owners already agreed on the revenue side that I think it would be proportional to how much of the season they played. Is that true? Yeah. And
1: that's the part that makes the owners look bad.
0: Right. That's my point is you don't come back after that and say, Oh, wait a minute. You know, we want you to take the risk for two. No, I'm sorry. You guys are billionaires. That just goes with the territory. You get to take the profits. You know, if your attendance suddenly doubles, the players don't get a dime of that money. And I'm fine with that, but I think it has to work both ways. Now, on the players' side of things, I was just Googling Blake Snell this morning, and I stumbled on this, and this is from John Stegerwald, of triblive.com, and I want to read you a quote from this, and he's talking about Blake Snell's stance on this, and Snell said, well, I could die from this. He said, forget about dying. What about the chances of Snell, Bryce Harper or any other major league player ending up in the hospital based on data from New York city, which is the epicenter of COVID-19 for people between 18 and 44, it is 0.1%. So first of all, and again, I'm not going to minimize the risk for people. I think if you have cancer or an immune system thing, that's a different deal. Or maybe a child in your family that you see that has that, I understand the concern. I'm not going to blow that off, but here's the thing. Number one You have risk of this disease no matter what happens. You're going to have risk whether you sit out the whole season or you play the whole season. So it it seems like a lot of people haven't seemed to bake that in. The risk doesn't just apply when you're playing baseball. Number two, I believe that there's going to be no environment where the players are probably safer than baseball. They're going to be tested at every turn. That's probably not going to happen if they're sitting at home. I think they're going to go above and beyond to make sure – the players in the game are protected from this disease, probably like they would not be in any other circumstance. That's where I think there's maybe some flawed thinking. Again, I make exception for the people who may be at risk. And I don't mean to tell anybody, don't be scared of this, but we take risk with everything we do. If I go to the grocery store this afternoon, there's a risk that I could get hit by a car and die. So there's risk baked into everything we do, What I don't understand in some ways, and I guess no vaccine is maybe some of the answer to this, but my point is there's risk in everything we do. And so if this is right and there's a 0.1% chance that a player is going to end up in the hospital, then where do we draw the line anymore if that's accurate? Okay,
1: here comes War and Peace Part 2. Like I said, it's one of the few things I think I'm an expert on, so get ready. Um. I'm assuming that in these negotiations between the uh, owners and the players, that there is some provision in there that says, hey, if there are players that feel that strongly that don't want to play, that's okay. They don't have to. Uh, They've already been granted the service time for a year. We'll grant that. uh, But they're not going to get paid. Here's here's a couple of things I don't understand, uh, going back to the last dance, that really applied to uh, a couple of cases you just brought up. In the, in the last dance, it was very clear that Scottie Pippen was grossly underpaid. And in the documentary, they show where Reinsdorf told him, I wouldn't sign this deal. But Scottie Pippen, as it turned out, had uh, a couple of people who were uh, very sick at home, and he needed the money, um, the security of knowing it was there. I, I don't understand why a good business, Reinsdorf, seeing that it, won't, it was almost about to, Scotty Pippen in the office, and said, "Look, um, I, I'm going to make amends a little bit for the fact that you're grossly underpaid." Here's here's two million bucks, uh, just because I'm being a good guy. I want this to settle down. The truth of it is, you've earned it, and we move on. Well, now let's fast forward that to the Braves. I cannot imagine why either Ronald Acuna or Ozzy Albies has agreed to the deals that they've agreed to. And for now, there's you know. Um, happiness and paradise and all that kind of stuff but you know as well as i do in particular with acuna if he ends up being the kind of superstar that we both think he's going to be that will be the biggest ripoff since scotty pippen and you know somewhere somebody's going to have to step in for the sake of a clubhouse and make that situation better it's a little bit like The other thing about Reinsdorf that I didn't get out of the documentary, why did he let Jerry Krause be the final say on whether Phil Jackson came back or not? If I was Jerry Reinsdorf, I'd have told Jerry Krause to shut the hell up and we'll just see how it goes. Because if they had lost uh, when they were going after the sixth title, nobody would have been trying to bring them back anyway. But when they won the sixth title, you had Krauss, who had already gone on the record as saying, Phil could go 82 and 0 and it won't matter. Well, what was the point of that? Why did that need to happen? And why did Reinsdorf sit back while that was going on and let it happen? And I think at the end of the uh, documentary, you know, Jordan pretty much said, Yeah, I'd have signed for a seventh year and I'd have been able to get Phil and Scotty both to agree to it, and I believe it.
0: I've learned this from running a site that has message boards now for 18 years, and my answer is simply this. People have their opinions, they dig their heels in, and no amount of facts can change their minds about things. And for whatever reason, people just tend to take stances and stick with them, and I'm with you, that made no sense from a common sense perspective, but that's... You know, who knows why people do the things they do?
1: Well, whatever the case, I'm watching this MLB negotiation like a hawk. And it doesn't say a lot about, you know, what what's important in my life. Because as I've told friends of mine, if I could get Major League Baseball back and I knew that it was coming back July 1st, I'd probably be in a little better mood, a little better mindset. I miss baseball terribly. I don't think there are ten people in this city who love that game the way I do, and follow it the way I do. Um, Willie and you may be numbers eight and nine um, in that list, or, or one and two. But whatever the case, if they blow this, the ramifications are going to be huge. And I don't think Blake Snell gets it. I'm pretty sure Bryce Harper doesn't get it. Um, this is where their agents have to to sort of step in and say, guys, you need to shut the hell up. But you know what? I, I don't get the feeling the agents have that kind of influence.
0: No, I don't either. Scott Boris might. But if I am an owner, I'm saying, okay, some of you may have some legitimate reasons to be scared. Scared, and we get that and respected and if you choose to sit out the year, fine, but I think this would be the fair compromise. I think if you're the owner, obviously, a guy that sits out doesn't get paid this year, that's when contracts come into play, so I think the owner should get the discretion of do we get to run another year off the contract, or we do we get to pause it where it was?
1: You know that's a really good point um one of the player's best arguments has been that the owners already agreed to something. And I get that, but a lot has changed since that agreement. And the, the pursuit of that agreement might really damage a bunch of the club. And the play, they, they see what's going on. They, Every night by there being no spectators, I think the thing got put out there over the weekend. It's six hundred forty thousand dollars per game. Did I see that
0: right? I did not see that. You know what? Then strike that from the (laughs) record. Strike that from the record. Well, no, I didn't. I I didn't see anything. Period. I spent the weekend power washing a driveway, so I'm, I'm not disputing you.
1: Um. I weeded out a big old flower bed. Boy, that was fun. Right. <laughs> I've gotten really good at that.
0: Oh, I know. I've, I've developed some skills on the side myself. But where I think this could really go wrong, and you and I talked about this off podcast, the CBA, I, I think there's another one after the 2021 20, season, right? Yeah. Well, if I'm the owners, I'm going to say, look, We said we would do this with the salaries, and we're going to honor that if we can start the season, say, July 4th to before. But after that, conditions change, and maybe that's off the table. Maybe that is your carrot to get the players to agree to do something and go on. And I think if you agree to something, you should stand by your word. But where I'm concerned for baseball is if some common sense doesn't come in, there's going to be serious labor strife in the next couple of years. I think the players are potentially cutting off their own nose because, look, if you – an abbreviated season already is going to really hurt finances. And it's going to mean less money for future contracts. I think where the players are maybe being short-sighted is, man, this could really hurt if they don't repair this. And if, if they don't play baseball, period, the contracts from 2022 on – for free agents, I would bet you are not going to be nearly as lucrative as they have been the past few years. And I bet the guy that's going to regret that most is probably Mookie Betts.
1: Yeah, he's in a tough situation. Because you're right about one thing. uh, The massive free agent contracts are probably over. Um, And this won't be a deal where the owners have probably colluded it's just simply off of what goes on in twenty twenty that they're not in a position to do it.
0: I'm trying to remember, have we talked about the draft date? I'm trying to remember if that was decided after we podcasted last week or before, but now it's June tenth and or excuse me, I guess July the tenth and eleventh. Or is yeah. it June? Yeah, July, I think. And sure. so now five rounds is what it is. That's gonna have some really interesting ramifications for college baseball, and particularly for Vanderbilt next year?
1: Well, there's a bunch of stuff here. Uh, Baseball has been hell-bent to get rid of 42 minor league cities. And um, first of all, I don't understand that philosophy because I think a lot of those 42 cities are places that really value having that franchise. Um, take, for instance, Jackson, Tennessee. And, you know, I, I say this very biasly because uh, Reese Smith, who is one of the owners, uh, is a dear friend. And I hate that Jackson, Tennessee might be one of those that gets, you know, uh, knocked away because of this. I just think baseball's making a bad mistake in that area because I think it's a game that needs to grow, uh, not subtract. And uh, I just don't understand some of what they're doing there.
0: How would you feel if you built a new ballpark within the last decade or two and then you get your franchise taken away?
1: Well, to me, that's one of the questions that, maybe i don't have enough info right now to understand but let's just say um, let's make up a scenario that two or three years ago i fulfilled a lifelong dream and paid five million dollars for a minor league franchise let's make up a community lebanon tennessee i'm the owner and now all of a sudden major league baseball says your your five million is worthless. First of all, lawsuit waiting to happen, uh, because you've signed in good faith uh, uh, that you know minor league baseball will be here. That's why you're paying money. Do those do those franchises and their owners get bought out or are they just told tough luck? I don't know, but boy, I sure wonder about it.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, the MLB side of things, and this is where I think they have sort of a leg to stand on, is that it's going to be easier to evaluate prospects when they're playing against better players. In other words, you remove the worst, I don't know, third or fourth or whatever it comes out to, players from the player pool, and those are going to be guys that for the most part have Very little to no chance to make the big leagues. It becomes easier to evaluate players when you're all on a higher skill plane.
1: Well, Chris, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, there are a lot of stories in baseball of really low draft picks who end up making it. One of the real poster children of that thought is Mike Piazza, who at the time. Was considered to be drafted only because he was Lasorda's godson. Well, I think he went past all that. I mean, you know what what you're going to do. It seems to me is give a certain percentage of players that are out there on the college level or the high school level absolutely no chance. And I, I just don't I, I don't agree with that.
0: Well. I agree with that, too. I I don't think it's cut and dried. What I hate is the people that are going to suffer the most are the ones that can probably least afford to suffer. It's going to be the cities and the people who depend on baseball for employment. And what I think you'll also see potentially – these little small towns where there's nothing much else to do, but you have a minor league ballpark, well, kids grow up going to that and developing a love and appreciation for baseball. If you try to grow a fan base, it seems like that's not going to help either.
1: No. And um, I don't know. I, we'll just have to wait and see how all this plays out. But boy, it's a mess.
0: Has any industry that you can think of been more prosperous despite more pigheadedness and more stupidity for about 150 years than baseball
1: you know um it's a really good point i remember when when all of the labor stuff started around 1972 uh the players association made a great move and they hired marvin miller and he was the cat daddy he brought the owners to their knees in a series of um you know, situations where the players went on strike. Uh, he was able to get arbitrators to agree uh, to some important things that allowed Andy Messer Smith and Dave McNally to become free agents. He you know, there were a lot of people who didn't want to put him in the Hall of Fame, but the truth of it is Marvin Miller has changed the landscape of baseball more than anybody. and if you think back, The late 60s and the early 70s, two real powerhouse franchises, the Orioles and the Yankees, both of them barely drew a million fans with unbelievable teams. And now you look all these years later, and even though there's a big segment, a younger population that really isn't getting into it, most baseball teams now are drawing between two and 2.5 million a year. So they're averaging about 30,000 fans every time they open the gate. And I do wonder if the NFL, and this is a stupid argument on my end, but if the NFL played 81 games a year, do you think you'd sell all of them out? I mean, in that respect, I think baseball has done pretty damn well, and it's no longer, you know, a $10 ticket you know, $5 out in the bleachers. This is now, you know, for a good seat somewhere between $50 to $100 a ticket. And, you know, it, it's a different it's a different deal, but man, they have economically they've done okay.
0: Did you ever read Marvin Miller's story about his whole time as the players association leader by chance?
1: No, but it- You've
0: got the book. I need Yeah, I will loan you my copy and if anybody's out there, I think it might be debatably the best sports book I've ever read. It wasn't really highly regarded. I don't I don't think it's it may even be out of print, but it's called A Whole Different Ball Game by Marvin Miller. In fact I I Googled it and Oh man. It shows up in yeah. Amazon search results. So if you're out there uh, and I think we've all got a little more free time. If you're a baseball fan, it's it's a must-read, I think. And even if you're not, I just think it's a fascinating look into the business side of sports.
1: Well, I remember, you know, as a kid, I just wanted baseball, and I didn't understand really what it was all about. Um, I thoroughly understand what it's all about now.
0: Well, George... I appreciate you joining the podcast today. Hopefully by the time we do this next week, we'll have a little more clarity on some sports. And in the meantime, your talk show will keep on trucking during the weeks from 2 to 4. Whether there's anything to cover or not, tell folks about that, where they can find it, where they can find you on Twitter.
1: Yeah, um, I'm on uh, 2 to 4 o'clock Monday through Friday on 560 WNSR on the AM dial. 95.9 95.9 on FM, and if you're stuck at home, uh, go on the app at Nash Sports Radio. Chris comes on once a week. Uh, Lord only knows when that is because I change him. Uh, he is, he's got the patience of Job to put up with
0: this, but sometime this week, Chris will be on. I'll fit you into my busy schedule. You do that. I'll do that as well. (laughs) Take take a break from yard work. Well, anyway, George, in all seriousness, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to catching you next week.
1: Chris, I'm happy to do it. I hope everybody listening is uh, safe and healthy. And, um, you know, let's remember all those people on the front lines who are making our lives safer.
0: He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got one and probably two more episodes coming your way later this week.